This is the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, created by the team of Becker's Healthcare, a multimedia company devoted to the people who power U.S. healthcare. Four new 15-minute episodes are released daily, containing industry news, analysis, and thought leadership from powerful healthcare decision makers. Support our show by leaving it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or other platforms you use. It's a chance to tell us what you like about the show and act on your feedback. Thanks for listening. Now here's the episode. This is Chris Sosa with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I am thrilled today to be joined by Amanda Vest, MD, Medical Director of the Cardiac Transplant Program at Tufts Medical Center. Dr. Vest, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Chris. Dr. Vest, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background? Yes, certainly. I'm a heart failure and transplant cardiologist, and I lead the Advanced Heart Failure Program here at Tufts Medical Center in Boston. I'm originally from the UK, and I trained in London, Boston, and Cleveland, Ohio. Currently, I mostly see patients with heart failure, cardiomyopathies, transplantation, and mechanical secretory support. Another area of interest for me is the treatment of obesity. I medically treat obesity in patients with heart failure and also co-direct the clinical nutrition course here at Tufts University School of Medicine. And actually, my research area is in nutrition, metabolism, and body composition. And for example, learning how to help patients with skeletal muscle wasting who have heart failure as a condition. But super excited to join you today to talk on some of these transplant topics. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Vest. So looking at the the bigger picture here, so what would you say are the three biggest issues in cardiology? I know that's a lot, so, so take that as you will. Yes, absolutely. Well, I come at it with a bit of a transplant lean, but I'll start on the prevention end. And because I am interested in nutrition and obesity, I think it's such an exciting time in terms of understanding how we prevent people from developing cardiovascular diseases, specifically including uh, heart failure, because obesity is a major risk factor for it, with our um, newer medications that treat metabolic health. So particularly the GLP-1 agonist, we've had some really interesting data lately with the SELECT study at American Heart Association. And I think there are huge opportunities there to help our populations of patients with diabetes and obesity from developing cardiovascular disease at all. In terms of the heart failure realm, I think there's a lot more that we still have to do for timely diagnosis and implementation of our medical therapies for people with heart failure. We have about 6.7 million American adults living with heart failure at this time, um, and not all of them are picked up in a timely manner. And unfortunately, not all of them are treated with the therapies that we know can be life-saving and that can help recover their heart. So uh, there's a lot more there to be done in collaboration across primary care, cardiology, um, and our uh, medical uh, specialties. But lastly, getting to the transplant area, it's such an exciting time to be in heart transplantation because we've really been able to optimize uh, access to heart transplantation, build up the volumes of transplantation in the United States over the last few years, and really start to look at the way that we manage patients longer term after a heart transplant. For example, innovating in the ways that we surveil for rejection, um, and bringing it back again to metabolic health, thinking about how do we keep these patients surviving and thriving for the long term after a heart transplant. Dr. West, I'm glad you mentioned the collaboration aspect. What do you see as the biggest challenges as far as that element is concerned and how can they be overcome? Right. I think we're really in a phase now of trying to break down the silos between 
um, primary care and those who specialize in cardiology, in endocrinology and nephrology. We're hearing a lot about um, metabolic, kidney, cardiovascular health, and it really takes people working across those domains, collaborating together um, and um, using often common medications to gain in multiple areas of a patient's health. So we saw this a lot as the SGLT2 inhibitors became um, proven and approved for patients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction and also preserved ejection fraction, that no longer was this group of medications just the domain of the endocrinologist, but now it was very much the domain of the cardiologist and the primary care provider treating patients with heart failure, and furthermore has benefits in chronic kidney disease as well. Um, similarly, we're seeing now in the GLP-1 and GIP, GLP-1 agonist medications, the opportunity not only to treat the type 2 diabetes, but also to treat obesity and, of course, optimize metabolic and cardiovascular health. So it really brings all those subspecialty uh, and general medicine groups together to center around the patient and figure out what's going to be right for them for their long-term cardiovascular well-being. Another sort of big picture question here for you, Dr. Vest. So when you see the evolution of heart, heart care, I should say, the mm -hmm. next 18 months or so, two, three years, what do you think is going to be the biggest trend that is coming the way of that a specialty? Oh, so many exciting developments with medications and devices. Um, but perhaps I'll focus on my area of transplant. It's really been uh, a fantastic few years of innovation in the way that heart transplantation is done and how we care for the patients afterwards. And an area that's been particularly interesting is the clinical trial and subsequent adoption in clinical practice of donation after circulatory death, DCD, which is a type of heart donor that wasn't previously standard um, in the United States, but which has helped us to transplant more patients um, and get very good outcomes and was facilitated by the development of new technology for the um, optimization of a donor heart graft and the transport of it to the recipient hospital. And there are a number of other innovations ongoing at the moment with slightly different devices that seek to really revolutionize the way that we um, uh, manage that heart and transport it in after procurement to get it in the best state for a transplant surgery. So I think this is a very exciting area as we think about how can we make sure that we get access to as many heart transplants of excellent quality for our patients on the wait list, knowing that unfortunately we still have approximately 9% of patients who are listed for transplant ultimately passing away without receiving a heart. And so the race is really on to figure out how we can bring heart transplant to those who need it. Uh, Dr. Vest, could you elaborate a little bit on some of the technology that you find most exciting? Yes, absolutely. Um, so the donation after circulatory death um, option really came about because of a type of equipment we call the organ care system. Um, the a uh, system that was developed in a clinical trial over the last couple of years is made by a company called Transmedics and allows us to take a heart 
um, even one that has stopped beating, which is the case with DCD transplantation, which we thought used to render the heart inappropriate for transporting and uh, transplantation, given that it had stopped beating. But we now know we can place that heart onto the organ care system and perfuse it with blood and electrolytes, warm it, and get it beating again in such a way that we're not only able to improve the quality of that organ, but also assess it whilst it's on the platform. So this has opened up uh, the option of uh, DCD transplantation, which probably adds somewhere in the realm of another about 15% volume of good quality donor hearts being available to our patients. And furthermore, starts to give us more flexibility about how we can transport hearts over longer geographic distances. No longer are we beholden to the cold static storage of a lowly cooler, which used to be the way that we brought hearts to the recipient. But now we have platforms where we can keep that heart uh, in good shape over a longer period as we bring the heart, for example, from coast to coast in the US. There are a number of other technologies that are being developed. Uh, we can do DCD transplantation using something called normothermic regional perfusion, uh, which utilizes some of our ECMO technology in circulating blood outside the body. We have other options for cold static storage. For example, building on the idea of a heart on ice in the cooler, but regulating the temperature throughout the organ in a much more uniform way. That's achieved by a device called the Sherpa Pack from Paragonics and allows us to monitor the temperature um, during a period of transport of the organ uh, with some early data from our team at Tufts uh, suggesting that that heart can be transported a little further and longer and still be of good quality. Another device that's coming into trials is something called the Ex Vivo um, device, where the heart is continuously perfused in a, a cold eight degree Celsius oxygenated cardioplegic nutrition hormone solution. So not yet available um, or FDA approved in the US, but coming into trials with some exciting data internationally. 15% Dr. Vest, that seems like no small number when it comes to the number of hearts that are available for transplant absolutely um, expanding access to heart transplantation is so important um, and looking to uh, utilize all available hearts is absolutely key to that a lot of work has gone into the concept of how do we optimize hearts, um, ensure that any um, possible donor is being considered for donation but certainly using DCD hearts, being able to be geographically more flexible with these organ preservation and transport systems, um, and also using hearts, for example, from donors who have hepatitis C, which has become standard of care over the last decade, are all strategies that incrementally add up to bring more heart transplants to the patients who need them. And amazingly, we're now at more than 4,000 heart transplants a year in the United States. Um, so really uh, increasing on that volume and simultaneously, of course, many people doing excellent work on enhancing the equity and access amongst populations to this life-saving resource. Dr. West, a little bit on the flip side of this conversation that we've been having for the last few minutes. Uh, what would you say makes you a little bit nervous and or 
what would you like to see improved as far as your specialty is concerned? Yes. Well, with all these wonderful technologies, there does come, of course, the potential for increase in cost. Um, so that has certainly been something that uh, many programs have had to look carefully at. And I think we'll see a lot more over the next few years about thinking about cost effectiveness and how we can um, geographically share hearts and get them where we need them to be, but be smart in our resources. And already a lot of work is going on to um, really think through the systems of care whereby teams are um, located in hubs and sent out to recover hearts and bring them back to the center that needs them. So a lot of good work there. We've also got really exciting technologies for monitoring patients after heart transplantation. So for example, the surveillance for rejection has traditionally been um, the biopsy, which goes into the right side of the heart and takes a sample of myocardium to be examined under the microscope. But we've got real opportunities now to do a lot more of the surveillance less invasively using donor-derived cell-free DNA, which is a blood test currently commercially available on next-generation sequencing that quantifies the donor-derived cell-free DNA and can use single nucleotide variations to give a ratio of that donor-derived cell-free DNA coming from the heart versus the total pool of DNA that comes from the recipient's body. Um, when the heart is under stress, such as during an episode of rejection, the donor-derived fraction that's coming from the heart increases, and that can help us understand that the heart is having some difficulty and needs further investigation, or on the flip side, that the heart is actually doing well, um, has a low donor-derived cell-free DNA level, um, and that the patient can continue their medications and continue in the direction they're going. But you asked about the challenges, and it can be quite difficult to um, roll out some of these changes in care across programs. Caring for patients with heart transplants is incredibly complex. Um, it's a high risk situation where we need a high burden of proof that changes in our protocols are safer and effective. And so we have seen some differences in the speed with which these new technologies are adopted across different programs. Um, and I think coming together as a community, providing educational resources and disseminating the data that's coming through from research studies can be very helpful in getting, in getting programs to the point where they're comfortable uh, taking on some of these newer innovations for patients with heart transplantation. Doctor, I did want to ask you a little bit about a victory that uh, your health system had early this year where we had a transplant candidate who received a heart after seven months in the care of the hospital. So can you take me through just a little bit about how that process went and what was it like, what it was like to finally tell this person, hey, we have a heart for you? Yes, absolutely. Our um, patients do sometimes wait a very long time for heart transplantation, which can be an incredibly challenging journey for them and their family. Um, these days, many of our heart transplants occur for patients who are supported on temporary mechanical circulatory support. So heart pumps that are um, optimizing the blood flow around the body and for which the patient needs to stay in the intensive care unit. We um, try to get the patient as 
active and up moving around as much as possible during this period, but still it's very challenging to be confined to an intensive care unit for a long period of time, um, often with lots of medical and emotional ups and downs along the way. So it's one of the greatest privileges of my job to be able to talk to a patient about receiving a match um, and help them to get through to realizing all those future goals and um, achievements that they're looking for in their life. Just the nicest thing. So um, certainly uh, a, a challenging process for many of our patients, but really delightful when we're able to give people a new lease on life. And really wonderful that this year we've had a very busy year at Tufts Medical Center. We're not quite through 2023, but we've done 56 heart transplants this year, which actually equals our record in the New England region that we set back in 2016 for the most number of heart transplants in this region in a year. So hopefully we'll be able to keep moving forward and offer this gift of life to even more patients on our waiting list as we wrap up the year. Dr. West, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and insights today. We can't wait to share them with our audience, truly. Uh, thank you again, and we look forward to connecting with you soon. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there. Mm -hmm.